Welcome everyone to the Daredevil Podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is a guy so dedicated to the show that he oftentimes just sits in the dark, waiting to be a dramatic denouement for old lovers. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matthew. The Daredevil Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 204, Penny and Dime, is brought to you by Mr. Finn's Irish Drill Bits. They'll make you good and red. One more outburst and I'll hold you in contempt. Let's enter the evidence into the record and give the devil his due. Our teaser here, uh, glasses filled, uh, toasts about to be made. May your neighbors respect you, trouble neglect you, the angels protect you, and heaven accept you. Um, and all of this draws us back to an enormous room filled with 15 caskets the door opens guns are drawn but whoa whoa it's finn matt hey isn't that the dad that we were anticipating from a couple episodes ago well we don't know it until a couple minutes into this teaser act caught the first flight soon as he heard and uh it's terrible circumstances the gentleman uh running the Irish wake here tells him to see him, but, uh, you know, let's, let's, uh, have a good lad go and fetch him a drink. And, uh, no sooner does Rory do that, that, um, this new man, Mr. Finn opens a coffin. There are coins on the eyes of the, uh, deceased person inside of it, who we soon come to find out was his eldest son now pete i hope that uh our listeners can appreciate a certain a certain high-minded intelligence that uh i know you always bring to the viewing and i i hope to always bring i will admit that it took a couple minutes into this scene for me to be completely clear from the narrative whether rory was the the kind of goon number one or whether rory was one of the dead um, in fact, in my notes, I waffle back and forth. Rory came over to make his fortune, and now he's dead with two cents to his name. Nope, Rory is the first guy. So tell me, Pete, was it somewhat muddy, or was I just... Pete, was I maybe enjoying too much of the Irish whiskey myself beforehand? <laughs> uh, watching it as I do with the subtitles and the fact that Finn said, it's Rory, isn't it, when he was given the drink... Um, made it clear for me. <laughs> That's when I first thought it was, or I don't know, I, I would be interested to go back and just, just see. Uh, there certainly was that moment. But anyhow, Pete, let's keep the narrative moving forward here. Finn is reminded that death is part of the deal, you know, the deal of this life of crime. And uh, it's also noted that he has been out of the game a while. And then Pete, I guess his drink is a little bit too warm because he's going to use that ice pick to get some more ice and oh my goodness it's in the other guy's eyeball and head Holy socket s our 43rd in the teaser act here for the fourth episode of the second season he then uh takes out some pills washes them down with a drink um yeah 
Now, uh, this bloody shooter, he stole uh, $1.2 million of my money. The man takes my son. I lose a boy. He takes my money, flips the coffin here. I'm getting it back. And it is the coffin of the missing hand victim. Uh, we'll we'll kind of get confirmation on the connection with that and the money. You know, we, we've we've seen the missing hand before. Insert enough for it to it to to have been a thing for a couple episodes. I have to say though, Pete, ultimately throwing the dead out of the dead man's coffin seems a little extreme. I'm starting to pick up some whiffs from the narrative here that Finn might be a bad guy. Ah, uh, indeed, indeed. With that, Pete, we move to a montage of Rory and other goons roughing. Well, it's not fully a montage, I guess. To be fair, it's a series of connected chronological scenes. But anyhow, um, Rory and the other goons roughing up other baddies, or at least people in the in the gray market. You know, about to to take out the one, do damage. Wait, I know a guy. Uh, they're on the trail of a guy who always wears a jacket, even in this hot summer. He also has a dog, Pete. Wait a minute, Pete. That sounds like this other show that I was watching where there's the Punisher. Yeah, he has a dog, too. Um, and this guy in the aquarium aisle of the pet store has given him up as they are looking for the person who massacred their brothers. And uh, they, I guess, pretty quickly get onto that path. Um it didn't occur to me until just this second that it happens awfully fast. I mean, we see that we see them question maybe two people. If you want to say, well, that's indicative of questioning five or ten. Um, on the one hand, I guess you could say that uh, Frank Castle is not doing a great job covering up his his trail. Perhaps the flip side is he's a man on a mission. He's a man who is at the very least driven by the grief that we're going to explore in this episode. Um, perhaps driven by psychological or, or physiological issues. Um, so maybe he doesn't care whether he's found. You know, maybe he has a death wish. But um, we end up in his apartment, which peer, uh, appears largely cleaned out. Uh, Fido is still there, though. And uh, there's a map and there are tickets to something in Central Park. Anyhow, Pete, the story moves outside to them quick going to Central Park. They've got the dog. They're they're pulling away. And all this while the Punisher is watching from across the street, first uh, revealed in Mirror, then revealed directly. And that takes us to the title card. Show proper begins with uh, Matt Murdock and a closet full of hangers. Knock at the door, and it is Karen um suspiciously wearing black but it takes the next scene for us to put it all together once she helps him uh quite tenderly put on the tie there talk of a brother she used to help do this because he was never very good with it they head to the funeral of elliot grote pete i think this is the first time and not the last time this podcast that you know, we'll, we're just gonna have to kind of kind of set aside the manly man moment to say stuff like like what I'm about to say, Pete. There's a heat in the air between the two, and it just kind of hangs there for a moment. For Matt breaks the pause, saying he's not sure, but it does seem that Karen is good at tying a tie. We have here and later on some some Ochi Mama moments. We do, but it's the more important issue of burying this gangster that i love the reveal they are the only three people there to mourn 
it's <laughs> such a sad moment because I don't know about you, Pete. I have an okay opinion on Groat. I mean, I know that the worst things that he did, we didn't see. So fine. But I kind of feel like it's the guy that he presented, which could be his own, you know, his own version of things. But the guy that he presented was somebody who all of a sudden was on this slippery slope and he leaves uh, he, he leaves their world uh, with a good opinion in my book. And to see Father Lantham giving this, you know, inspired and somewhat dark uh, eulogy to only three people, I mean... He, he's he's at his funeral as he was in life when he visited the church. Groat was friendless and alone aside from these three people. But he had a big heart. He'd give whatever he could, crumpled hundreds, loose change, a Rolex one time in the collection plate. But it was in a search for redemption that he died without, that he prayed for the light and he still died in the dark with no one to mourn his loss but the three of these people. It's such a wonderful mental image. Crumpled hundreds and loose change. You know, the Rolex. It's just, it's just, it's not only wonderful in the in the way in which Lantern, uh, Lantum rather, delivers it, but more flashy productions, I think, would be tempted to show it, to show him Groat there in his suit and tie. You don't need to because keep him dead, you know, flashback or otherwise. And it's just, it's it, it, it's a great way to isolate him and all the more ironic for what comes next because Lantham talks about the interconnectedness of humanity. We're part of a web and just this notion of, of community and caring while we're talking about someone who was not part of the community proper and who did not act in a caring way. And it's the double decker uh, effect of the theme here that he left a world and a world has been lost and really prepping us for what the Punisher has gone through the loss of his world. With that, Foggy and Karen leave, and Matt stays to talk with uh, the good Padre. Uh, Matt offering up unprompted that it wasn't his fault that that Groat died, and uh, Lantham says plainly that no one says it was. And I just, I I love Lantham's performance here. Uh, I I know we talked uh, last season about how it seems to 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 me, it seems to our eyes, I dare say that when you get some of these New York based actors that you somehow get a little bit, something that's less polished and more real than you do for small parts in Hollywood. This guy, I, I wouldn't know him from Joe off the street, the, the actor that plays father Lantham, but he's just able to deliver this. There's like a weird passive aggressive nature to the way in which he tends his flock. And, and I think yeah. you see it here where it's like, Hey, no one said it was your fault. What's the implication? How did you kill this guy that you're here and you care? Yeah, almost like helping them figure it out for themselves without giving them the answers. And, you know, he, he finally comes out and asks him, you know, what what is it you want? What is it you're feeling? And he talks, Matt talks about how he feels guilty and that he's looking for forgiveness here for not doing more. And... um Father Lantham tells him that guilt can be a good thing, a soul's call to action, an indication that something 
is wrong. Uh, and the only way for the heart to get rid of it is to correct mistakes and to make amends. And it also means that your work is not yet finished. And what a perspective that we get from Lantham, somebody who carries the weight of a man who sees the failure of his calling, the failure of the cloth, the inability to purify everyone. Um, it's, it's quite an interesting take, especially you know, when you add the, the religious overtones, the Catholic overtones, etc. It's just, thank goodness they have Father Lantham in this show. We cut to Frank Castle with a flashlight, once again stitching himself up, a big bag of supplies and uh, bandages, a suitcase mat with a handcuff, and we know what used to be in that handcuff. <laughs> Absolutely. This is where the, the, the small teases of the, the hand cut off, it all has come to fruition here. And Pete, in this scene, it's just wonderful watching John Berthall act. He's somehow as fascinating when he's holding a flashlight with his mouth, grunting and groaning as he fixes his hurt body. I, there's something intangible in his performance where where one plus one equals four with him, and it's it's just incredible to watch. This two-tone van that he gets out of, we figure we'll factor in later. Meanwhile, um, Karen is explaining that... Uh, he, the Punisher, is lucky to be alive. They look over the uh, the photo there, the the X-ray, we should say, that the DA was collecting. Um, it was mostly stuff about the Punisher's victims, the dogs of hell, the cartels. But in the middle of it was this uh, X-ray. What does it all mean? Did he shoot himself at close range? He would have been dead, but not to go all tinfoil hat here. Um, but there's got to be some reason that tower slipped it to her. Uh, what if the punisher isn't the worst? Well, Pete, speaking of tinfoil hat here, they have three box fans in the, <laughs> the Karen's desk portion of the office they could spring for AC. I get it that money's tight. By the way, when they move into Foggy's office, there are also three fans in there. Is this a metaphor? Is it father, son, holy ghost? I, I, I don't know, Pete, but let's let, let's ponder on that. What is the three box fan per room metaphor? I don't think it's a metaphor. <laughs> I just think it's set dressing. Um, but the concern quickly comes around to what if Reyes, the district attorney, is covering up for something else um, that the best shot they have here to protect Nelson and Murdoch is to find the Punisher. But Matt is distracted. Father Lantham's eulogy got to Karen and, uh, you know, there's stuff to talk about. And, and some of that stuff to talk about is Matt and Foggy in the latter's office. They're talking about a real, genuine case, a man living in the slum. Was it? Mr. DePesta. Right, absolutely. Um, it, it is a bit of a story excuse uh, just for us to see Karen, uh, rather, for us to not see Karen leaving. And with the files, mystery, mystery abounds. With that, Daredevil's off to see Melvin Potter, who is kind of blithely excited about the improved alloy helmet and the reinforced gloves melvin is also proud about wearing a vest as well pete he's got to keep himself safe for betsy after all 
Yeah, there's a not a lot of new people spilling blood out there. But between the um, you know nearly indestructible uh, fortified carbon tube helmet and the reinforced ally gloves, alloy gloves, we should say, um, you know, it's got him confident despite the fact that, that he is turning down business from his old contacts, Matt. I wonder who some of them could be. Oh, say it ain't so, Pete. Back to Karen we go. She's found a guy who was fired from Metro General. He spills the beans. Uh, this John Doe was brought in unconscious, visited by no one except the black suits with earpieces, male and female alike. Sure sounds like government folks. They pushed for that do not resuscitate, and it was a doctor that pulled the plug. The John Doe flatlined, then boom, his heart started up again, all on its own. Pete, it happens sometimes, especially if you don't want to die. The guy woke up, grabbed the uh, the fired medical worker, and demanded him to take him home. Pete, I wonder where home was. I wonder where it was as well. You got an address? <laughs> but we don't go there, at least not yet. We return to Frank Castle, who's watching, at, at first, an unseen carousel, the music playing. Wonderful camera work as we then see the mm-hmm. reverse of that pull out, showing in, showed in soft slow motion. It's wonderfully underlit. There's a smear of yellow in the camera, making the this fun place look sickly and yellow. Uh, with that, the lights shut off, and suddenly the families are gone. And there's a man on another bench there. It's Rory. Nice night. And he shows him his gun in his uh, vest there. He's not alone. Suddenly, there are two other men by the clown trash can, Matt. You know, no, nothing more joyful than, than stuffing your trash into a clown's mouth. <laughs> Sticking your hand into the gaping maw of a, of a metal clown ever staring. It's scarier than the Punisher. <laughs> Coming to season three, Clown Man. <laughs> Um, it, it's a good fight here. Frank pretty early on takes a needle to the neck that doesn't stop him from beating Rory and shooting, you know, four or five goons more still come though. Frank is starting to feel the effects of the shot. And then Finn is there too. Frank gets tased, then tased again, falls, stands up and finally succumbs taking, uh, I'm sure any, any manly man could take such a, such a beating Pete, you know, you and I, like you and I out there, I we, that we, we would have put up the same fight, right? I think it's only after the explanation that he had flatlined, that he had technically been dead for a minute, that we can suspend our disbelief in a scene like this where he's been stuck in the neck with some kind of sedative. He's starting to feel woozy. They tase him. He goes down, gets up. And then goes down again. So clearly there is some kind of enhancement or super strength or whatever it is that we'll have to discuss a little later in our sidebar segment. Seemingly incongruously, Sergeant Mahoney is finishing up at an unrelated murder scene uh, in Stanley's bar when yes. he hears a noise in the back room. It's the daredevil. But Pete, exposition Mahoney isn't talking, though he says that this wasn't the Punisher. It was the Irish. The Irish are searching for the Punisher. There's a bounty on the Punisher's head, and the cops aren't on the Punisher's side because now they chase crime, not prevent it. 
expedition over Daredevil leaves and Mahoney, <laughs> Mahoney has nothing left to say. Mahoney. Mahoney! To the burbs we go. Uh, it seemed like it was a, a perhaps a familiar a familiar lane from another Marvel Netflix show, but Karen arrives at the empty castle house, shown because the mailbox says castle, and mm-hmm. Pete, she uses the old credit card trick to get in because I guess that works. I, I was going to be completely dismissive, and then I realized I've never tried it. So that's that's I, I haven't actually a used gift card right here. I'm gonna try <laughs> that after the podcast. Don't work, man. You need something with a magnetic stripe. This this has a magnetic strip. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll see what the the, the Walter <laughs> Disney gift card I'll have can to, do to a door. I'll have to show you sometime. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Spoiler Pete knows how to break into places. We go back to the site of the Great Carousel Massacre. Uh, Daredevil is there. Um, almost looked, Matt, uh, given that we had seen him in this scene with uh, Sergeant Mahoney in all red light like we last saw him in uh, the lobby of the building with the dogs of hell like maybe this new suit was all black uh, but he hears Rory grunting crawling catches up with him and we realize thank goodness there's some red on that suit (laughs) and uh, he has a little conversation with Rory it just takes a little Arm twisting, and uh, Rory opens up, saying that the Punisher did this. But the Daredevil points out how Rory is bleeding out that uh, he has all night. Uh, Knowing who did this, it's a question of uh, where he is. And, uh, yeah, he's really not looking to tell him now, is he? No, although this notion that uh, you know the Punisher is as good as dead, Pete, I, this must be where Matt is surely motivated by all sorts of Catholic Brotherhood guilt, and now it's time to go save him. We go to a chair where Frank is uh, tied up, and uh, Mr. Finn says that he's quite the artist with the AK, are you? But Nesbitt and Kelly... His oldest boy, gone to the angels because of you. Pete, it's it, it's chilling. It's like I'm back in the scene, and and it's like Finn is <laughs> Finn is in my headphones. This is this is amazing. I'm I'm sure it's equally amazing for the audience there. But it's it's good monologuing there from Finn talking about leaving Castle's arms and legs attached because Finn is a gender a generous man. And Burnfall again is splendid without having any dialogue in this portion of the scene. Uh, a goon, in fact, beats him up a bit, and and Burnfall portrays Castles almost seeing passive. Pete, we then get the second pill pop. Here we are halfway through the episode. Finn says it's to calm his nerves. And offered to the Punisher, which I think is an important aspect here, with the idea of recognition. Do you care for a nibble? There certainly is an honor among thieves mindset that Finn brings to this, which I really appreciate. I think it's it's the sign of a man in power where he can treat uh, can treat a subordinate like an equal because he knows they're not equals. Um, I also don't know if we're developing some sort of well it, I, at this point of viewing. I didn't know if we were developing some kind of 
something with the pill. Now, I, I didn't know that Finn would not be long for this world. At least that's my assumption, given what happens to him in a little bit. But regardless, Pete, Frank Castle knows you don't take other people's prescription medication. He doesn't need any. He's not nervous. Not at all. And uh, given the room by the other men, Finn pulls up a chair, wants his money back, and Frank is incredulous that his kid is in a box and you want your money. Um, and that's when Finn loses it, punches him repeatedly. He says that the Irish may not have invented revenge, but they sure as hell perfected it. And that his killing spree has all the signs of retribution. Tell me where the money is. And uh, when that doesn't work, he gets uh, gets the power drill, starts to drill Frank's foot. And it's a particularly juicy bit of drilling. Lots of, you know, splatter and spurting and, uh, and manly man screaming nonetheless. Uh, almost like uh, Bernthal's back on that other show. But... Uh, Instead, Pete, we return to the castle house. Karen is creeping around, taking what looks to be a, a Fisher Price, meaning kitty flashlight. Mm-hmm. She goes upstairs and seems to have set off a silent alarm, although I, I, I feel like that's not picked up again in this episode. Uh, regardless, there's kind of a motion sensor in the corner that starts to flash green because you yep. need to see something if it's silent because TV and film are visual mediums or media. Um, Karen makes her way to Lisa's room as evidenced by the Lisa sign. And here, Pete, is where we have Castle's humanity presented. Yeah, even before we see the girl's name over the mirror there, uh, there are pigs, there's rainbows, there's penguins, and we see the one-batch, two-batch book with bears and pigs, penny and dime, of course, the little rhyme, as Daredevil will ask later, the thing you say before you shoot. There are photos of family, uh, the, the most touching of which is uh, Frank kissing the pregnant belly of his wife. And there are military photos and medals. So what a great time with that established to go back to the drilling sound. Particularly given that in an inspired moment here, we see his military honors. We hear an echoing cry of his torture ahead of returning to the Irish lair, uh, where we see kind of uh, the exterior hall to the, the torture room and daredevils lurking in the shadows, taking out goons one by one with his billy club. Uh, you know, being a source of noise and a source of you know getting clunked in the head. And uh, at least we know help is coming. But Pete, in this next scene, it's almost no help that we know Daredevil is coming because he's not there. Because Castle has been beat, but he is not broken. Then Finn ups the ante by bringing Fido in. And Castle melts right away. We, the audience, melt right away. It's too much tension to handle, Pete. I need one of Finn's pills. (laughs) It is. uh, When you hear the, the dog yelping, And we know we're conscious, I think. They're not going to do anything to this dog. But to see, there there was Bernthal's, I think, finest acting in in the course of this episode. To to summon that that quivering lower jaw 
with the idea of, of hurting this dog. Um, clearly some kind of connection to family, man's best friend, everything there. That's what got me. I wouldn't necessarily connect it to to the notion of family. I think it's just it's shorthand for the audience, shorthand for the character, shorthand to our humanity that you know, like you know, you be nice to animals, you don't hurt animals yeah. and it's despite the fact that you could be cynical and say, "Oh, this is the show just reminding you he's actually a good guy and Finn is bad and all the it just works. I mean, th- this dog didn't ask to be a fighter, and this dog has been nothing but kind to the, the the litany of humanity that it's dealt with in these in these couple of episodes. So, luckily, luckily for our sake, if not the sake of the characters and and the the fictional dog, um, Castle Castle indeed has melted. He tells goons to go to the van at the corner of Forty Eighth and Tenth. Uh, all the while, Frank fiddling with his recent wound, which is revealed, has a, a either a razor blade in it or a razor blade kind of adjacent to it. Regardless, not a place where a normal person would keep a keep a razor blade, but um, but there it is. Uh, and then Pete, we we head towards a, a rather explosive moment. Well, before that, we get the hallway again where Daredevil is taking care of a couple more thugs, including a rather impressive flip out to the van. They find the case. They phone Mr. Finn. Uh, Castle's messing around with the razor a little bit more. The money's all here, Mr. Finn. Wait, there's something else. Kaboom! I like how quickly they cut to the explosion, too. Like, it wasn't... Wait, what's this? Pull the money up. Close up. Beep, beep, beep. Goon reaction. Big eyes. It's just, hey, there's something else. He goes to grab for it. Wide shot explosion. Well, Matt, let's take a minute here to tell you about NJ Toys and Collectibles, which has been family owned and operated with a passion for toys and collectibles for over 20 years. They carry a wide variety of items from Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman, as well as many other comic heroes. They proudly ship internationally. And if you buy now and use our exclusive coupon code podcast, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T. You can save 10% on your first order. NJ Toys and Collectibles is your source for exceptional vintage and modern toys. Visit www.njtoysandcollectibles.com. That's NJ Toys and Collectibles today. And Pete, back we go into the story. Luckily, with uh, with Finn's goons having been on the phone, Finn instantly knows that uh, something bad has happened. Uh, it is at this point when Castle breaks free, takes out yet another goon. Pete, Finn is shot kind of glancingly as, uh, as uh, Punisher is now increasingly in control of the situation here. Uh, he's calling for Jimmy or Sean, neither responding. And Punisher, Punisher now has a very, very big gun. Yeah, that he wanted this, that he counted on this so he could ask him face to face who was there that day, who killed my family. Finn's response, not the one old Frank is looking for. Who cares? And with that, he gets his face promptly blown off. 
if if the desire of the show is to be TV 15, I guess this is not TV MA, although it's it's only shown for a moment, but you see a man's face get made disappeared by buckshot. Hamburger, I believe, is the word we're looking for. This is true. Despite these victories, though, the Punisher seems cornered, uh, mm-hmm. hiding rather metaphorically behind a coffin lid. Um, and there, there suddenly is the sense that he he really, you know, he's kind of out of options here. And I'm not quite sure how the show does it, but it's wonderful where we've seen him fight back and fight back and fight back. And this time it's like the walls are closing in. And he then, falls back on that mantra, one batch, two batch, Benny and Di- Penny and Dime, which now has greater resonance for us. Then there's the daredevil in to save him. Uh, he explains they're going to pay every single one of them, but not tonight. And I love the little flourish where the daredevil is beating everybody else down. And suddenly castle goes to kill one of them. (laughs) He grabs from behind. No killing. Alter boy. He needs to first explain the hashtags and then explain hashtag no killing. Back we go to Karen, still sneaking about. She finds the proverbial photoshopped picture of a happy family, this time the castles, three late of this world. And Pete, she hears what seems to be the 15th car either driving up or driving by. Um, If there's a weakness to this story, it's the number of times Karen is about to be caught by some seeming force outside. But there is no payoff, at least in this episode, and having not seen beyond it i mean i can't imagine there's going to be like the the ooh the perspective from you know bobby the goon who's been watching the whole time as he drives by i don't know i do know this though pete lots of dead people so the next scene is in a graveyard yes through uh saint michael's cemetery here uh the daredevil is helping uh frank castle and uh Finally, lays him down here next to one of the graves, um, thinking that he might have been uh, wrong about uh, the daredevil here. Um, And help is on the way, but he tells him to go. He's past saving. And it's here that we get the full on background about. what is up with Frank Castle that uh, there's the questions about the rhyme and the explanation that it was his daughter's favorite book. And uh, when he went away to war, there's all the stuff that you go through, but he never uh, got rattled through any of it. It wasn't until the plane ride home that he was actually scared and you come back here, Matt, and this S46 is funny. All the greasy S47, you know, the S48 that you fought to protect. And he's suddenly at his daughter's school. He's outside her classroom. She has no idea her daddy's home. They're doing some kind of yoga. And into the room he goes and everybody loses it except his daughter who's squeezing him so hard it feels like she's going to bust his rib. The teacher's unable to keep the camera steady. She's going to put this S49 on YouTube. But uh, 
You know what S was the worst of all? 50, Matt. It was that he didn't read her the bedtime story. Too old to even need it for the tuck-in. Um, he was just too tired to uh, go to bed with his wife. Uh, he was too tired to, uh, you know, play some uh, ball with his son. 51 S words to this point in the series, Matt. And in this scene, he explains that even though his daughter had outgrown this, he said he would read it tomorrow. And tomorrow for her never came. There is in this scene an undercurrent of Frank's disdain for the America for which he's fought, along with all that you need to know about why he's fighting over the lost family and perhaps a lost America. It's a lengthy scene of Bernthal just talking, just acting, just being Frank Castle. And it's such a long scene that it almost defies logic. Did they really write something this long? Wouldn't a producer or an editor at one point have said, even if it was written or if it was improvised or regardless, wouldn't a, someone have looked at this footage and said, this is going to ruin the flow of the action. You know, we beat up bad guys and have leather superhero suits and fight scenes. But it doesn't ruin the flow of action. It's a scene that just goes on and on, drawing us into why punishment is required and why this is no villain. It even requires little music and shows mm -hmm. few cuts to Daredevil. It's all about emotion as Frank Castle talks about finding his daughter's lifeless body. And credit Bernthal here. You know, the same reason a lot of viewers grew tired of his character on The Walking Dead is the reason we love him in this character here. We don't want to see him hauled off to jail so that when Sergeant Mahoney shows up and uh, they explain EMS is on the way and Daredevil is giving himself up but tells Mahoney that you're going to take the collar. People have to know the system works, that uh, Mahoney lets him go. Yeah, great line there that, that uh, people have to see that law and order works, not the system of suits and vigilantes. And as, as Punisher is being taken away in medical custody, medical police custody, wonderful camera move there as the camera slowly moves up to show the stone arch of St. Michael's Cemetery yep. with, with Daredevil looking on. In the rain. In the rain, no less, yes. A uh, little convenient that suddenly they're in Josie's bar and the news is on and there's a cleaned up Daredevil, Matt Murdock, no worse for wear, having drinks with Foggy and Karen. Karen, who last time we saw her was out or was inside a home where a bunch of guys were getting out in a van and nothing ever came of it. Well, first of all, though it is uh, a writer's machinations, New York One does report that Frank Castle was apprehended, apprehended by good old Brett Mahoney several hours ago. So I think you have mm. some, I mean, Again, I mean, we know what they did. It's a hard cut to several hours later, but at least it is several hours later. But in Josie's, Matt, it's all all right. There's uh, the tender moment here between um, 
Matt and Karen and Foggy is smart enough to realize that this needs to happen between his friend and his employee. Yeah, I like that they they don't push the romantic triangle, at least by way of Foggy. Um, and of course, that does mean we're now going to have this Karen and Matt scene. Karen's been reminded of how precious life can be. I, I, is it starting to get hot in here? Is it me? <laughs> Smooth Matt then asks about Karen's brother as Foggy just looks on and smiles. Outside the bar, Foggy wonders if Matt indeed will be happy one day. Then off Foggy goes by himself. Karen and Matt are left under the overhang, rain all around them. It's evocative of the silly rain scene from the Daredevil film, but as Karen and Matt walk in the rain in this show, uncovered towards his apartment, they use acting and camera work and music to share emotion, not cheesy rain echoes as in the film. Pete, Matt senses a single drop of water falling on her, and a, a prescient sound editor put in the gasp of an excited inhale as, as it touches her. Matt draws his hand up Karen's wet arm and... Pete, just oh my! You, you, take over. I'm I'm, I'm blushing here. <laughs> Woo. I, this is where the moral compass of Matt Murdock, as strong as it is, clicks in, and uh, you know, after a kiss, asks to take her to dinner. Okay, tomorrow. Good night, and he's able to to call off the dogs at least for now. Um, and he turns to go, winds up back in his apartment, hits the fridge up, the clinking of a, of a couple beer bottles, allows himself a chuckle, and then, Matt, you knew it was coming. He grabs a knife uh, in self-defense and only to see a rather lovely ethnic woman seated in his chair comfortably. Hello, Matthew. Electra. Jackson, you're already badgering the witness. Well, what do you want me to give him a testimonial dinner? Who brought the heat into Hell's Kitchen in this episode? Pete, let's start with Finn. Uh, sad to see him go. A magnetic personality on screen. Uh, I, I love how he has these two sides to him. One that's just... Uh, gentlemanly to his prey, the other that's uh, a vicious killer, a torturer. Um, and my only regret is that he's gone. Um, at least I think he's gone. I don't know if we're going to, if those pills are going to be special Wolverine healing pills or something, but uh, quite a turn here for Finn this week. Seeing him kill one of his men at the funeral really reinforces the brutality of this Irish mob, clearly the group we have spent the most with early in this season. And uh, you didn't know whether he was coming in when he was holding a bag as some kind of hitman to take out the Punisher. Um, I'm kind of glad it didn't go that direction as I suspected it might when I first saw this, but he provides the the chill that we need to feel as somebody stalking the punisher somebody almost up to uh to his level of brutality 
Well, and speaking of the Punisher, I think he's got to be next on our list here. We see him, uh, shockingly in my mind, uh, here we are at the end of the fourth episode, where he's he's in custody. The, the law of man, not the law of the jungle or the law of, uh, of nature, winning out, at least in the short term here, as he's taken into custody. Yeah, and the level of humanization that happens with his backstory as well as seeing him carted off in an ambulance where we get so much backstory seems like that's the end of him for our story. And we know that that's clearly not the case, but we've seen him stitch himself back up. We've now gotten the details that he was a DNR, the people in the suits. We're going to talk about all that in our next segment, but there's so much more going on than just, this soldier back from war, uh, you know, killing people because of the death of his family. And he still doesn't have those answers. Pete, you and I are lucky to not, not know what he has been through. Uh, I, I did know someone who had uh, multiple tours of duty in Iraq, not somebody who I was close with, kind of more of a friend of a friend type situation. And uh, while he was serving over there, he didn't understand why uh, people were treating 9-11 as a normal day. He assumed it was a day of, of national note, you know, everything closed down. Uh, so that disconnectedness that Frank feels is something I can, I can understand a little bit based on this person who, who I knew. Same thing when he got back in one physical piece, thank goodness. You just that shift that that too much too many of us know that these soldiers have been through where it's this shift from adrenaline all the time concern for yourself and your buddies and your 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 unit all the time to the 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 lazy greasy donut shop world that the rest of us get to live in all the time how there's that it doesn't all mesh and 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 I like how they capture that here because that's something that a lot of people are going through and ho- hopefully uh, Bernthal's desire as expressed at New York Comic Con to be capturing that yeah. for the people who have been through it. Uh, to me, it seemed authentic uh, and and just a, a powerful, a powerful outing here from Bernthal. It's a real thing. Um, And the post-traumatic stress disorder that so many veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan have come home with a generation after the end of the Vietnam War, where we dealt with it then and people kind of let it fall by the wayside that that's not an aspect of humanity, yet we've we've seen it come back and, and we know of the silent struggle that so many veterans have gone through and that's where it really caught you in your throat when you heard uh Bernthal talk about the reverence that he has for this character because of how important this character is to uh men and even women in theaters of combat Pete, let's move now to Electra. Finally, she's here. I had to wonder if the show was having a bit of fun doing the iconic film rain scene reinterpreted in a more realistic world, which in the film was done with Electra to show their love. Now we have Matt Murdock in love with someone, rain scene, and then the introduction of, of a different type of Electra. 
we knew she was out there even before we had seen her cast for season two, the discussion of uh, the Greek student in Matt's Spanish class when they were in college. But to see her now in the flesh at the end of this episode, stunning, elegant with the accent in the in the black dress in his apartment, clearly knows her way around it. Um, now just got to watch those uh, remaining episodes and find out what's what. Your Honor, may I approach the bench? May I approach the bench? It's time to step aside and approach the bench to discuss some off-the-record theories. You be the judge. Pete, let's talk a little bit about these pills that Finn is popping. It made me think of the, the red pills and the blue pills that we saw in Jessica Jones. That's exactly what uh, I felt. I don't know, and I'm not going to spoil if we're meant to think that. Uh, but it, it certainly was evocative of that. And he seemed to, to get kind of a, of a surge, um, again, thrown in Castle's face as somebody who should know about them. So whether or not we're going to, uh, or we're meant to have the connection that they had, Pete, in my spoiler-free existence, uh, I certainly see a connection there. I mean, heck, Pete, the character of Nuke first appeared in a Daredevil comic. Um, so whether it's a, a tacit connection or something that's going to be explored more this season, I look forward to to finding out. Heck, maybe it's setting something up for, uh, for the Defenders. But um, we will find out about good old uh, Will Simpson and his pill popping in the future when the Jessica Jones podcast and series returns. Matt, what about the dead family here of Frank Castle? We know that they were killed. There's no idea as to why. What happened? He comes home and the next night his family is murdered. Well, first of all, I appreciate the narrative decision to start with the Punisher mythos of the family, wife and child or wife and children are killed, retain that. But I think for the purposes of the narrative, they, they boil all of that down into the story of the daughter. And I, I think there's a, decision there's a discussion rather in the writer's room where you could say that that's a bad idea that it's going to come up as false but it does not and it's 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 inspired at the end of the day to have it have the daughter be the proxy for the pain of losing the family um the fact that it, they are seemingly killed without um without reason i guess that's that's why we're getting this story in episode four and not in episode, you know, two thirteen. Um I I I guess I couldn't I couldn't imagine other than it's obviously some shady business and uh there certainly is enough story room to explain it in this season. It could have come across as maudlin to to do the whole 
family situation in in what is really couched as the coming home story, something that we've seen a million times on, you know, lifetime channel segments of a, a family without a, a loved one veteran being in a public place and suddenly they're surprised the the intense focus on the young daughter and her strength in the midst of her father's deployment you know really really ties that all together but clearly the irish had something to do with it here and uh they just don't want to tell us what yet We've been using our enhanced senses to monitor the frequencies. Here's what you had to say. Matt, we received a uh, comment to our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek. And Robert T. Frost writes in, I really like that the show is having M. Murdoch deal with his concussion. Not only is it a good foil for our hero to deal with, it's keeping him within his power set. It will be interesting to see how long he will have to deal with the fallout from getting his bell rung like in real life for many months or superhero for weeks. And in a crossover, I'd like to see if Luke Cage has any lingering symptoms from when he was shot in the head. Ellipse. I, I think we're going to see more of the crossover type stuff uh, happening. I, though I am spoiler free, the fact that I haven't heard any buzz spill over uh, suggests to me that maybe we won't get more than Claire the Night Nurse uh, in in this latest Netflix Marvel offering. But it, it, it's fun how there's this there's this increased pace. You know, we had we had one Netflix Marvel. Well, I guess because Jessica Jones was in was in in the winter, right? So we had one in the spring and then one in the winter. Then here we are wrapping around again, and things are picking up. And Luke Cage in the fall, and uh, it's just a super super exciting time for these interconnected shows. Pete, speaking of the interconnected web that we are all a part of, want to uh, give special focus here to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. Thank you to those who are patrons there for helping make the podcast happen. And we want to encourage other listeners to, to take a peek there. It won't take more than a minute to see what the various offerings are and ways that uh, you can lend a hand and we can uh, lend a hand back to you. And uh, as always, very appreciative of uh people helping and people taking a look we have come up with some uh i think really compelling new uh freebies there that you will receive with donations and uh i'll give matt full credit on the newest one we are going to be putting up uh pretty soon that will be something you're going to want to check out teasing teasing with that pete how can people be in touch with you on the Twitter where it's a gift every day? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, -E 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 7,368 followers. Can't be wrong. 
And while I am personally looking back lost on Twitter, you can be in touch with the podcast in a variety of ways. We are Fantastic Geek, that is Fantastic with the PH, and we are found under that name on the .com, the Gmail, the Twitter, and the Instagram. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek. Like it today. Well, Pete, with that, we'll be back before you know it for the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. So hopefully if you're subscribed to the uh, the Pop Culture Podcast feed, you get it all in one. You get your Batman v Superman, your Daredevil, your Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., etc. Uh, if that's not your bag, baby, this podcast feed, this podcast for Daredevil will uh, be back before you know it for episode 205. And uh, it's, uh, it's busy times, but it sure is fun having all these comic book offerings. But Pete, now is the time for me to say goodbye. So I will say goodbye to all our listeners and give you the final word. One batch, two batch, penny a dime.